Welcome to the summer of the X-Files. My name is Chelsea, and with me is my best friend in the entire world. Hi, Evan. Hi. All right. And today we are talking about another Monster of the Week episode. We're keeping a theme here, and it's called Humbug. Um, But before we go into that, I thought, Evan and I, you and I could just talk a little bit about what we've been doing since we are still under quarantine and just rapidly going through content, but I'm a little excited because I've got some shows that are coming back and some new stuff that is very, very refreshing. It's nice to have those Sunday HBO shows back. So I'm going to talk a little bit about a couple shows and then we are going to hear from you about some video game stuff. So that's going to be really fun. So um, these two shows or three shows actually just kind of came out and they're streaming right now. Uh, The first one I wanted to talk about, which I hadn't really looked into or wasn't really sure about, gave it a shot on the pilot and immediately loved it, and that is HBO's new series, Perry Mason. Now, this show has, I think the favorite thing about it is the cast. Matthew Reese from The Americans uh, is just a revelation as an actor. He's Definitely one of those actors I would just watch do anything. Um, He can really, not even slightly, he just slightly transforms himself and he's just really taking on this character. I really like the choices he's making and the style he's going with it. And it also stars Juliet Rylance um, from The Nick. I don't know if anybody has watched that. Tatiana Maslany from Orphan Black. Shay Wiggum from Boardwalk Empire. And John Lithgow, who... The last TV, last TV thing I've seen him in is The Crown, and he's great in this. So it's a really great cast, and it's following Perry Mason as a detective. And this is taking place in late 20s, early 30s uh, Los Angeles. So it has this very cool old noir uh, theme to it, which is really fun. It's two people born and raised in L.A. It's, a, it's kind of fun to go all the way back to where... The only landmarks you would really recognize are the ones in like downtown LA or the movie studios, Hollywood Forever Cemetery. So it has a very cool old LA vibe. Very, very, very noir in the style. It's it's a really beautiful show. Um, now, and it might get a little dark for some people because I would talk and I would say it's true crime meets, or sorry, true detective meets Boardwalk Empire. And it has that very dark crime that True Detective kind of has. And one of the cool tie-ins that I didn't realize until I was uh, listening to a podcast about this show was that Nick Pizzolatto, who created True Detective, this was his, you know, uh, this was his baby for a little while. And then he gave it up and decided to do the third season of True Detective. So this was kind of coming out of his mind for a while. And you definitely can see that. Um, and it's following a kidnapping gone wrong. And, uh, you know, Matthew Reese is a doing the anti-hero very, very well in this show. But I, it looks like when they showed the previews of the rest of the season, it looks like it's going to be a really big show. And it just, it looks like it's going to be another great show from HBO. So I'm really excited about that. Have you had a chance to watch oh, it yet? No. I have not had a chance to watch it yet. I've been sucking in as much X-Files as possible. Yes. And we... Focusing on the X-Files. But I know that you're raving about it. Yeah. So hopefully. It's on the list for sure. Yeah, and hopefully we can talk about that soon. Um, speaking of true yeah. crime, the next one I wanted to talk about is a six-part HBO docuseries ca- called I'll Be Gone in the Dark. Um, our listeners have heard me talk about this uh, before, this book that it's based off of when we did Mindhunter episode with my friends Thomas and Claire. Um, You can go back and listen to that one. But uh, I'll Be Gone in the Dark is a true crime novel written by Michelle McNamara. And it's about her personal search to dig into the details of the East Area Rapist, the original Night Stalker, who we now call the Golden State Killer. And she was a writer who would most notably was uh, known as being Patton Oswalt's wife, uh, the comedian. 
and they had a child together. She died about a year before the book was finished. So it was up to other true crime writers to kind of come and put it back together. She had been working with a lot of true crime bloggers and writers to kind of put the whole thing together. And she unfortunately passed away by an accident. I believe it was an accidental prescription um, reaction to medication, which is really sad. But in the wake of her death, her husband and all these uh, people came together to put the book together. And it is one of not just the best true crime books, but definitely one of the most emotional, scary, suspenseful books I've read. Um, the, the golden state killer is a really fucked up dude. Um, he started out as a stalker rapist and then eventually, um, there was homicide. He eventually started to kill his victims and he was never found for over going on 40 years. And when this book came out, it had really great critical review. Um, you'll be seeing a lot of, uh, true crime podcasters, people who I are like famous people to me, like, uh, Billy Jensen, Paul Holes, K Karen Kilgariff will be talking about this. And in the wake of uh, her book, everybody just kind of became, or in the wake of her death, everybody just kind of became obsessed with this book. And about a year after it came out, and I think about a, going on two years ago, the Golden State Killer was caught through Ancestry uh, DNA results. And they got him. He's been in jail this whole time. And just this week, he pleaded guilty to all of his crimes, like he should, the fucking asshole. So um, the book is amazing. The Golden State Killer is a really, really interesting crime case. And I recommend this to anybody who, even if you just tip your, you know, dip your toe into true crime, you know, just a little bit, give it a shot. And then the last show is now streaming on Netflix that Evan and I started watching the other night. There is a reboot of Unsolved Mysteries. Yeah. It's so good. It is so good. Yeah. And it's doing a, a little different because after I finished the episodes, I, I went into Hulu and they have the original Unsolved Mysteries. So it's doing it a little differently where they're covering one case uh, per episode. And I think you told me there will be more episodes released, but anybody who loves Unsolved Mysteries will completely fall back in love with it. It's, it's very eerie. It's bizarre. And just like the title, it kind of leaves you feeling a certain kind of way because these things aren't done yet. They're like cold cases. So, yeah. Which one did you get into any of them? I am still for the uh, Great Barrington UFO episode. Yeah, you were all, you're like super on board with that one. Yeah. That one, excuse me. Um, I'm super on board with the first one. Um, it, and it seems like from what I was reading a little bit about today was it's really catching the eye of a lot of people, the first one, because it's so strange. It's so bizarre. It's so incredibly strange. It's like, you know, this, this guy disappears and it's completely out of the norm for him. And where he's found and circumstances that he's found under, uh, there's, there's like no explanation for it. Yeah, the, the, his body doesn't match up with, the injuries don't match yeah. up with what they said happened. It's, yeah. yeah. I'm trying to be as vague as possible because I don't want to. No, we don't want to spoil these. That's going to watch the episode. Mm -hmm. But it, there's, there's literally nothing that makes sense about it. Like him disappearing, A is out of the ordinary for his entire family. Mm -hmm. And like you said, the, the way he's found the injuries to his body, yeah, the, the other small bits of evidence and circumstances that you will see if you watch the episode, mm -hmm. it, it's just like, it's just nothing, nothing makes sense. No. And it does turn out that he's like investigating something that, they are theorizing that maybe a portion of something that led to his death in mm -hmm. some way, shape, or form, that he may have gotten his hands on some piece of info. It's not specific. Um, again, watch the episode. You'll figure out what we're talking about. Yeah. But it's just like, what the actual fuck yeah. happened? And it's just like, oh my God. Absolutely. And a lot of them, I think the Great Barrington um, Berkshire's uh, UFO one is the only one that they're kind of doing at the moment that's supernatural. But these other cases, you you know, from us watching like cold case files and stuff, you'd think we'd be 
you know, like, okay, there's no body, there's no way for them to prosecute this. So these, you know, cases go cold and these families and the victims, you know, loved ones just go on not knowing, but it's kind of like that. But then there's just an extra element that is just like, wait, what happened here? <laughs> like it's the crime is just, it's just, it's so unique and so bizarre and so out there that law enforcement doesn't really know how to go about it. So again, they go cold and they go unsolved and, you know, hopefully one of going back to I'll be gone in the dark, Billy Jensen and Paul Holtz have a podcast called the murder squad where they reopen cold cases and their listeners come back at them and say, I used to live there or I have family who knew that person. So maybe, you know, airing these things, we can kind of maybe get some closure for these cases because, you know, if you don't come up with a body or, or a confession in a certain amount of time, these things just go undone and it's so painful and so sad for those that are involved. Um, Exactly. And everything's still there. So as soon as they get leads or anything else, they can just get it right open again, which would be really interesting to see what comes of that. So moving forward, Evan, you are my best friend and you have something very much in common with my husband that is just part of my life, which is people who play video games and love their video games. And I love that the two of you are not, I like the games that you guys play. I think they're interesting. If I gave it if I gave two more shits, I'd probably uh, play them on my own. And so I do. <laughs> so I do. I'm just too busy watching TV. Um, but I do love hearing about the stories and, um, you know, the context of the games that you guys are playing. I think they're really interesting. So you're playing The Last of Us 2 that just came out. And we won't spoil anything. Um, but you finished the game. And I just, I really, really liked this story. I thought this was really interesting. And I I think it's really cool when you think about the writing of a video game, because just like TV, it's another place for storytelling. So yeah, tell us about, tell us all about The Last of Us 2. So The Last of Us Part 2, it takes place five years after the game, the events of the original game, The Last of Us, which is another amazing game. Oh. I'm in love with it. Um, you will fall, like, if you like these types of games, I want to state that since Chelsea is, is not super into yeah. types of games. Um, but, so it's, it takes place five years after the original game, but it takes place 25 years after the outbreak of what they call the Cordyceps brain infection. And what it does is it turns people into, like, almost plant-like zombie-ish mm. things. Um, it's very much in the realm of the post-apocalyptic uh, game genre. So you're doing a take on a Resident Evil style or a Silent Hill, because that's paranormal. Yeah. Um, Fallout and stuff like that. It's less um, insane than, than Fallout, because Fallout is an RPG, so you're like constantly trying to build stuff. Mm-hmm. But um, you play as Ellie and Joel, who are the two main uh, antagonist from the protagonist, I'm sorry, protagonist from the first game. Mm-hmm. And Ellie at this point is 19 years old. She is a burgeoning lesbian, which I love the fact that they included yeah. heavily the LGBT community in this story. Yeah, some inclusivity in video um, games is very cool. Yeah, yeah, it's very, very nice to see. Um, after an extremely violent event, uh, it kind of sets Ellie on a path to head to Seattle to find her vengeance for said event. Um, it's starring Troy Baker and Ashley Johnson, both the original voice actors for Joel and Ellie from the original game. Mm-hmm. Um, it, this game tore, didn't pull, but tore out my fucking heartstrings. No! I have never <laughs> I have never sat and bawled mm. 
mm-hmm. as much as any other video game. The first one, I mean, and if anyone's thinking about jumping in to play the second one and you haven't played the first one, do not play oh, no. the second one before yeah. playing the first one because the first one, you really develop like an emotional connection with these characters. You see their emotional connection build and you understand their relationship in the second game. It's very much of like a father-daughter and there's there's reasonings behind that for both characters. Yeah. I'm not going to say anything specific because I don't want to ruin either of the games. Um, but it's, it's emotional, it's sentimental, it's gripping. Like, it truly sets a different bar for the way stories are told in the video game medium. Because mm-hmm. you're so incredibly involved. You, and they, they throw you a curveball in the game as well. I'm not going to say anything further than that. Right. Um, because I don't want to, again, ruin the story. But it's, it, I spent, you know, we can, two days, I think, playing it. I, I wasn't, you know, filling my days with it. But um, once I jumped in, like, it was very hard for me to pull myself out. I had to look at the clock and be like, oh, God, it's 3 o'clock in the morning. Um, <laughs> yeah. I've had, I've had my equivalent of glass of wine, so it's getting very hard to shoot in the right direction or <laughs> yeah. start running in the right direction. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, put the controller down. Yeah. But anyone that loves, like, the post-apocalyptic, story-heavy, very story-driven style games, this is something that is very, very worth picking up. But again... I yeah. do warn, if you did not play the first one, don't jump straight into the second one, because you're, you, you just, you won't have the context. Yeah, it wouldn't, that it, will take it wouldn't make sense, it, yeah, it'd be like watching a TV show without the context of the first season. Like, you wouldn't just go, oh, yeah, I've never be- watched the show before, let me start at season one. It's like, no, you, you have to know those characters and what they went yeah. through in that time frame. It'd be like jumping into Lost season two without watching season one. Yeah, and how'd they like, get there? What's the hatch? Yeah. Like, what happened? Like, yeah. What's the, there's a smoke monster? Mm-hmm. Like, no, you'll have, you just won't have the context. Yeah. But it's incredibly enjoyable. As much crying as you will do. I mean, very, you really very, were very, like, very good. you were texting me. I, I mean, we do text and talk every day, but you were texting me like every, every time you were playing it and just like crying again. Oh man, I'm crying yeah. again. And then you got to the, yeah. you got to the big twist, and then you were telling me some stuff about that. And and you know, and as someone who doesn't really play video games, I just am so kind of like envious of this storytelling style, and how I wish like we could just make up an industry where, you know, the way that they they pander to um, their their fans and their players, you know, they really want to make sure that you guys like this and you're going to be, you know, investing in it and stuff. So it just, it has to be so good. And that level of commitment to the storytelling process, I just, I I think is so fucking cool and fascinating. I love that video games are becoming a genre, you know, that could compete with film and television. And to kind of re-reference loss as kind of an example. So, you know, the first two episodes, like, what, three, four seasons of Lost, I think we were still, maybe the first three seasons, we were still in that old traditional style of TV making where it was 23, 24 episodes, mm-hmm. 42 minutes a piece, and, but they get 20-something weeks to tell you this whole story. Yeah. And in terms of this game, you're going to play for 25 to 30 hours. Yeah. But you're sitting there and you're invested and that just goes to show like the level of writing that it takes to get you to spend that time. That is so cool. And I did that, like I said, in a week and two days. So nine days, I consumed 25 hours worth of this, this story. And it was so like, you didn't want to leave it. It was, like I said, it was very hard for me to put the controller down and just continue. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah. They have to like, the hooks have to be there right away. Yeah. And I was not not super stoked on the twist, uh, not right off the bat, but it, my opinion did change as I got further through it. So looks like it's going to be very unexpected. It was very unexpected on my end, and I didn't really care for what they were trying.
mm-hmm. um, because I was so invested in in what the first half of the game had to say. Right. That to change to change the perspective halfway through this like twenty five to thirty hours, I I I, I put it down for like a day. Oh, I would turn something off. Yeah. I mean, we, if I, I mean, same thing with like what we did with like Walking Dead and I can think of other shows, you know, Weeds and like other shows where I'm just like, you know what? You're going to change everything. No, you lost me. Like then, yeah, when they make drastic changes like that. So it's cool that there's such a big twist in this game. And then even if you did have to put it down for a second, you were like, no, I still want that story. Like I still have to see yeah. this through and went back and enjoyed playing it. Absolutely. Yeah. I, I enjoyed it to the last frame. Nice. And I, know that, I know that we'll have another seven to nine years probably prior to getting another one. If we do, mm-hmm. it would be awesome because there's some really yeah. great characters in that game that, they could technically, if they don't want to reconnect with the main characters, mm-hmm. they they spent enough time with these other characters that were in this game to get you to give a shit about them. Yeah. And if they maybe did spin off with some of the other characters, still titled it The Last of Us, you know, Part 3 or whatever, yeah. um, I, would, I would jump straight back in. And I would do the same thing if they decided to go in any direction to be honest just because I'm so I love the story so much that I would just be like okay yeah. let's see what they decided to do Naughty Dog is the studio that did it and they did one of my other favorite franchises the Uncharted franchise which is again another heavy story driven the what that's my say it again thing, obviously um, Uncharted the Uncharted franchise oh Uncharted yeah I've heard of those yeah 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 um, again another great heavy story driven game but like I said, that's my, that's my everyone is that's raving my about it. Yeah, everyone is. I'm hearing a lot of. It's. I do have a lot of video game people in my life and friends, coworkers. Um, like I said, my two most important people in my life play a lot of video games. <laughs> you, you're one of them. Um, and I just, I hearing about this. I would. I was just thinking. Like I was really admiring how the process has been done and. You know, they re-released Final Fantasy, which is a really big one for my husband that he's been waiting for like 10 years for that game to come out. They're doing cyberpunk. There's talks about Silent Hill. So I I just think, you know, the sky's the limit as, as far as goes video games. And the last you or I checked, they are making a Last of Us television series So on HBO. So yes, they are. cross your fingers that that gets moved along as... Yeah. A little photo that I came across that they're talking about um, Nikolai, Nikolai Castro Waldo. Uh, God, that's so familiar. Oh, Jamie? Jamie Lannister. Nice. Their, they, it, it's not a confirmed thing. It was just a picture, and it was like, like kind of like dream casting. But it makes a lot of sense because he's been with HBO for so long, and sure. his look does, does yeah, it really works. fit. Did you say Jeffrey Wright was a voice actor? Jeffrey Wright is a voice actor in the in this second game. He's not in it a lot. Okay. He's, he's got maybe two scenes. Mm-hmm. Um, he's the leader of a faction of people that you come across. And I had to, like, I, I was playing it, and I was just like, that voice, that voice is so specific and so familiar. <laughs> you know it, yeah, Westworld. I had to IMDb it just to make sure. I was just like, yes, yes, that was Jeffrey Wright. Oh, I it love him. Very little, but it was it was really cool to see someone like that pop up in the game. Yeah. All right. Well, we are going to move on towards the X Files. So, yeah, we just wanted to share that with you guys. So remember to watch Unsolved Mysteries, Perry Mason, I'll Be Gone in the Dark, and if you have the gaming console for it, definitely check out The Last of Us and The Last of Us Two because. We may very well be talking about these things in the uh, near future. We've got a lot of time. Yeah. All right. We'll be right back. Welcome back, X-Files. Oh, I liked this episode a lot. This episode is called Humbug. And I just, we had a few episodes that will be on an honorable mention. 
where one of us was really into it and the other was just like, this isn't my kind of episode, but I loved this one. This one was really, really, really fun. So I'm going to give you a little bit of info about it and then we'll go into some trivia, talk about what worked. So Humbug is the 20th episode of the second season of X-Files. It was written by Darren Morgan and directed by Kim Manners. It aired in the United States on March 31st, 1995. Again, it's our Monster of the Week story, unconnected to the series' wider mythology. Humbug earned a Nielsen household rating of 10.3, being watched by 9.8 million households in its initial broadcast. The episode received generally positive reviews, and critics appreciated Morgan's unique writing style. In this episode, Mulder and Scully investigate a series of murders in a community of former circus sideshow performers. Mulder believes the murderer to be the mysterious Fiji mermaid, which Scully argues is only a hoax, a mere humbug. Humbug was the first ep- ep- epically, explicitly comedic, it is epically comedic, explicitly comedic episode in the series by Morgan, who later wrote three more scripts for the series um, that continued that comic take on the show. And this is Morgan's first solo writing credit for the series. Um, and according to critical analysis of the episode, Humburg, Humburg, Humbug sorry, explored themes of otherness and difference, which is our main favorite thing about this. So we will get into that. All right, Evan, what do you have for trivia? There was some really cool stuff. So um, actually the setting, which is Gibson, Florida, is actually a real town in Florida. Mm-hmm. Um, for that elephant and they'd be like actually yeah. I do <laughs> He's just wearing like a Tarzan. Chocolate. Nope. 
I think I would if it was, I think out of, okay, I think out of any bug, like you see those crazy candies and stuff where that looks like they got like a little scorpion inside or whatever, I would probably eat like a little grub worm or a cricket if it were, because I just have to, I have to think that it probably just tastes like chicken or like some vegan like shit. It probably tastes like fake meat or something like vegan meat. tell me what kind of fish yeah i won't picture it yeah but good for her because they are trying to prove in this episode that they can play along you know, and that yeah. that they're accepting of these people, and that what they do isn't gonna is isn't gonna be the average reaction where somebody would be like, "Oh, disgusting!" It was very baller of her just to be like, "Yeah, I'll fucking eat the cricket." Oh, it was good. Yeah. All right. What else do you, do you got? One? Sure. Um, Jim Rose and the Enigma are part of an actual circus, uh, the Jim Rose Circus. It was founded in Seattle by Jim Rose in the early nineteen nineties. Mm-hmm. Uh, they came to prominence as the Jim Rose Circus Sideshow while performing on the second stage at the 1992 Lollapalooza Festival. That's perfect. So, we were talking about, like, the type of people who do, like, that sideshow kind of, like, hang yourself by hooks and eat, you know, a light bulb and he puts the thing up his nose and stuff. It's it's not necessarily, you know, like, I told you, it's it's got to be more in, like, the rock goth community where we're just like dark freaks who just need to do like twisted weird shit. And I totally got that vibe from, from that guy who is doctor who plays no, Dr. Blockhead. But yeah, yeah that, that, be, that tracks. You can yeah, see it. This is a really funny episode, and that is one of his funniest lines when he's telling Mulder, he's like, have you ever practiced the ancient Hindu blah, 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 where he's like, and he's like, where you meditate and you can, your genitals will recede inside of your abdomen. (laughs) Yeah, he's just trying to see what, like, his body can do. They're kind of doing that right now. Yeah, it's as I'm watching this. Yeah, exactly. He's speaking to us. Well, and, and yeah, and that the humbug is, it's a, it refers to like a farce, a trick or a lie. A lot of these things you would have to see to believe. And that's yeah. why people would come to the, the oddities of circus and the, the freak shows and stuff is because back then they didn't have much to do. And, you know, we weren't as advanced with medicine. So there was no medical explanation for why someone looked like this or had this you know, deformity or skin condition or something. So they really were just kind of seen as, as freaks. They are human, but they're, you have to see it to believe it. And yeah, I mean, it goes, it goes back to what the fifties, 
20 well 20s like you'll see stuff in the 20s when they're and like the early 1900s and like at least in america and stuff it was yeah it was just you'd go see performers and stuff before we it also reminds me of um freak show the uh, season of mm-hmm. horror story not not a great season but yeah i mean that's also set in florida that's also based on a, a, a you know old a continuing side show, but mm-hmm. still gives you like. And I love the fact that in a lot of these things that cover this subject matter, they they do use people that have either been in side shows or have physical deformities and mm-hmm. utilize them, even if they're not actors. No, they're just like, okay, no, we would like to have you in our in this episode. Mm-hmm. These are your lines, and they, I'm sure they get a lot of coaching, but. It's cool that they actually utilize people instead of absolutely like CGI or makeup or something like that. And that's one of the one of the scenes I really liked is is one of the first scenes, which is um, the funeral for Alligator Man, who is the uh, what we see is the first victim of uh, of what's going around this little town. And the the funeral is is just the the perfect thing because you can see that these people, some of them are like as crazy as Alligator Man or the Bearded Lady. Some of them look like they are the people who work in the carnival and like set up the stages and stuff. One of the things I noticed was this guy who he looked like Flea from the Red Hot Chili Peppers and he had like crazy dyed hair. And there was another guy who was wearing a tuxedo. And I thought that was funny because they probably told him, you're going to a, a funeral. You got to dress nice. But these people are stage performers performing for tips and, you know, small wages. So he was like, well, I don't have a suit, but I've got an old tuxedo. And the bearded lady is sitting with her children. And just it's a really great way to, you know, kind of instantly put you into this place. Like they do this a lot in X-Files where it's like, this is the town and these are the people in the town. But this is just so different than all of that. And it, I, and another thing I really loved is that Mulder and Scully, they are the outsiders throughout, you know, nobody really gives them the benefit of the doubt or takes them seriously because that's just not the way that they've lived. They've never lived to the norms of society that says these are FBI agents and they know what's weird and what's not weird and what's law and what isn't, you know, these people stay within their communities. And in that funeral scene, you can see everybody rushes to Dr. Blockhead. He does an escape artist trick out of the grave and they all rush over. He's like, I think I hit an artery and they rush over to him. And then another funny line, Mulder's like, well, I can't wait for the wake. <laughs> you know, it's just they're they are excited to be in this town and entertained so far. Um, yeah. What what are some of the other things that worked for you? Let's look through this. I mean, the episode overall, I really enjoyed it. Being, I was actually very shocked that it was the second season. I was thinking like season three or four. Mm-hmm. Um that's where I kept looking for it before finding it in, at, at season two, episode 20. Um, cause it was a, uh, an episode that didn't seem like it, the TV was ready for it at that point, yeah. nor, nor the series itself. Mm-hmm. Um, because the series was establishing itself as heavily sci-fi, um, not a lot of comedy, yeah. very straightforward, dramatic, um, scary like those those realms and those are the, them yeah. to actually tap into the comedic side of, of that medium because you can do like dark comedies are one of my favorite things yes uh, there's a movie that i just watched not too not too long ago called ready or not um <laughs> about a woman who just gets married to her fiance and their the fiance's family has a tradition of whenever someone new comes into the family, they play a game and she happens to get hide and seek, which in their terms is, okay, you hide, the whole family hunts you <laughs> and tries to kill you. Mm-hmm. And it's it's great. And it, I, just, I love the dark comedy things. So that one thing that really was awesome about this episode, and it was great to kind of refresh the memory watching this episode. Mm-hmm. I remember watching it when it aired. I, I remember, remember yeah, when I yeah. 
which was one of my first iterations into like the idea that there were freak shows and there were people who genetically were just different and they're, you know, they're, they're like in the, what is it called? The Guinness book of records. And, you know, there's a lot of lore and, and awe and curiosity behind them. And I think well, it, was, it was also great, like that they that they kind of normalized. Them. Yes, that's and what I was gonna say. You know, we go we're just particularly going into going through a period of time where a lot of people are having to fight for rights. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, being a gay man, it's been it's been a, a rocky road, and it's like okay, no, but we're we need to normalize everybody. Mm-hmm. Everybody's human. Maybe we look different, but different heights, we're different sizes, we're different shapes, we're different forms, but it's like, I liked how they normalized it, especially yeah. the uh, gentleman that is the caretaker for the, um, Mr. Nut. the community, Mr. Nut, yeah, like, and him and his rants towards Mulder are awesome. Oh, he's just going off on him. Anything he thinks that Mulder is, might think, which... You know, it's funny, it's contradicting because Mulder would be the most understanding person because he believes in everything and he wouldn't judge necessarily uh, rather than be curious. But it's really funny that every time you see Mr. Nutt, who is uh, played by Michael J. Anderson, who was in Blue Velvet and um, and Carnival, you know, so he kind of went on with these roles and, and had a really successful career uh, for a little person actor. Um, but I, I really like how they, they drilled home through every of the main characters that they kind of touched on with the sheriff and Mr. Nut was just like, Hey man, I can't help it. And just because your norms of society and what you think is attractive or, you know, everything that is, is so systemic. And now we're facing it with transgender and people of color and stuff. And we're like, everybody, you know, this idea in your head, it is not what exists. And it, it is not for you to judge those who cannot help the way that they were born. These people were born this way. You know, same thing with if you were born with a medical condition or, you know, you were born gay. I was born straight. Like, you know, this is who we are. And we didn't choose these things. And, you know, when you were, you know, I, when you were talking about your experience and stuff and how I, you know, we all kind of felt like outsiders. We've talked about that a lot on this podcast. And, you know, we, we kind of, that's why we like dark comedy and, and stuff like this, because we can really um, relate to that. And, and ever since I was little, I wanted to be the tattooed woman at the freak show. You know, I wanted to be the witch or the scary girl or something. I did not like the normalized idea that was projected onto me as a child that was blonde hair, blue eyed, you know, white woman or white girl or whatever. And I was like, no, I, I'm different. You know, I want to, I want to stand out. I want to stand apart from this because I don't think that th- that that is normal, you know? And so I have dyed black hair and tattoos on the most visible parts of my body. And I continue to do so because I feel like an outsider. I feel like an other, you know, and the best of us are, you know, so I really, I did like relate to that. And I was like, see, these are my people. (laughs) Like we can all relate to, you know, we were born this way and we can't do anything about it. And there, it's just like a really cool, like bottom line of acceptance through this. And yeah, for 1995, that was very cool. That was very brave. And, you know, they had to put it into something as wacky as a freak show, probably to get it by the censors and get it by Fox. But it was a really cool thing for them to be saying back then. Yeah, I, I actually even like the way that you bring up um, Twin Peaks mm-hmm. for uh, the Michael J. Anderson reference because actually they didn't, they never shared a scene together. But the company, one of his first things was Twin Peaks. And was he? Oh, okay. Yeah, it's very David Lynch-ish. Mm-hmm. Like, the weird, all of that weird shit. Because David Lynch, I mean, I've seen a couple David Lynch movies. A lot of them are very hard to get through. I'm not a big fan, um, but yes, I respect him. They're fucking, they are fucking weird. Mm-hmm. So fucking weird. I had to watch one for, I, it was a film class, and it was Twin Peaks. No, I don't think it was a film class. I think it was, uh, like, a social studies Mm-hmm. Something in, in, in at PCC in college, and 
it was it's just like, what is going on? What am I watching? But it's more straightforward. But it's like, it's funny that you mentioned that because of the two connections, the company being in Twin Peaks. And yeah, I think he does, he goes in drag in Twin Peaks. Yeah, and in Blue Velvet, yeah, in Blue Velvet, uh, Michael J. Anderson's character is kind of, he's like existing in a dream, and he's speaking backwards, and it's just, and he actually did learn those lines to like speak backwards, but I think Blue Velvet and Mulholland Drive both have things that, excuse me, I'm having a little coughing fit over here, um, that are both have things that have scared the crap out of me that I, that like have disturbed me so much. I can still see them and be like, Oh God, like there's a scene in Mulholland drive that haunts my nightmares. But yeah, we, yeah, this is, and you know, without David Lynch, we wouldn't have a lot of these shows. So we definitely, you know, respect him a lot for that. But yeah, yeah, I do. I just think it was a very bold choice for 1995. Like you said, second season of a TV show for them to just be like, you know what? We want to show more sides of these characters. Everybody is getting all hyped up on conspiracies and mysteries and stuff. Like, let's just have a chill episode, you know? Yes. I was loving that. Um, But that's another thing I wanted to touch on real quick. Quick. Oh, I liked it when Scully went inside um, the Oddities Museum. And this is something they kind of touched on. They've touched on this in TV before, um, and especially in American Horror Story Freak Show. Um, but Aang and Ling, who are the Siamese twins, one of the things I've always found incredibly fascinating about like uh, genealogical oddities and stuff is when one twin dies, like the other soon follows. And I forget, I really wish I could recall it, and I'm really sorry that I can't, but there was a book I had to read, or it was a poem or something, but it was an, about a man who was conjoined to his twin, and he woke up in the middle of the night, and his twin had passed away. And he was struck with the grief of losing this person who's been so close to him and then realizing his own mortality that as his organs started to fail, so would his own. And then it was just a matter of time before like he started to die too. And as somebody who thinks about death and I was pretty morose and morbid a lot like that is really fascinating to me. And I did, I did enjoy her conversation a lot while she was in that museum. Uh, yeah, that was a very interesting part. I like the fact that you never actually like get a full look at his face. Mm-hmm. Um, and his voice and a lot of his face looks very familiar. So I'm not exactly sure. I didn't look it up. Yeah. Um, who plays him? But he was a very Really yeah, and it's a. Like, I really do like that part. It's great makeup, great effects, like through and through. Um, you know, this whole episode is—I mean, there is a murder, and there is, but Lanny and Lenny, um, who is the man who carries around his conjoined twin, but his conjoined twin is the one who's committing these murders, and he's just like this little demon baby thing that's just crawling around. Um, One of my favorite things, and I thought, again, taking it back to like the sweetness of like, you know, we're a family and we're in this group together, was that my first take, and maybe this isn't it, but I just kind of thought it was cute that he was just trying to get back inside his brother. Like (laughs) he was just trying to like crawl back onto him, but he was going through like other people's bodies to do it. Um, so, yeah. as far as like, I don't know if that's creepy or, or what. That thing's very creepy, but yeah, you know, like just trying to find find the attachment. Again. Yes. Like, oh, you're not my brother. Okay, yeah. I murdered you. Because okay. they're all, like, okay. at the stomach where he attaches to his brother, and his brother kind of carries him around like a little baby. Um, but he was, like, and then they're, like, so you can never go home again. And, you know, and he's, like, I'm his only brother. He'll always come back. So I was, like, this is kind of sweet for, <laughs> like, an X-Files, like, murder suspect. Um, one, we're kind of running out of time here. But, again, this is just a just come for the comedy for this episode it is so good 
Um, my favorite, one of my favorite lines is a lot of doc, Dr. Blockhead. Um, do you know anyone who can get out of a straitjacket in three minutes? And Scully says, thankfully, no, because that's not how <laughs> straitjackets work. Yeah, talking about like uh, meditating to get his his genitals inside his body. Um, he's talking about how you know we are breeding that that like you know deformed gene is kind of getting bred out, and everybody is just going to look like Mulder. And then they cut away to Mulder, and he's kind of like got one foot up on a step, and like his hands on his hips, <laughs> and he's like the perfect idea of like what a man is supposed to look like. Um, anytime Mr. Nut goes off on him. And I also really love, yeah. One of my favorite things about, <laughs> one of my favorite things about going back is I'm really paying attention to Scully because I mostly, mostly pay attention to women characters the most. Um, but when they go back to the sheriff's yard, because they saw him burying something, they get caught and Scully is still in like one and two, you know, she's bold and she'll stand up for herself when she has to. But for the most part, she's really not trying to like, you know, step on anybody's toes and they get caught. And Scully goes, you know, sir, um, a lot of police officers uh, are, you know, turn out to be serial killers and they're really into, you know, serial killers works. And she's just trying to go up on this rant and stuff. And then Mulder just interrupts and goes, we know that you're dog face boy. <laughs> like, yeah, that's why we're here. But a lot of cute little like comedic moments for the two of them. So this is uh, this was fucking fun. I I really 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 suggest this episode to anybody. I wouldn't even have to like yeah. butter them up to get them to get into it. Mm -hmm. Very very good. Yeah, literally, literally just watch it and you'll enjoy it no matter yeah. what. Yeah, and I don't feel I like there are that many the of these ones. I think we I think we've achieved covering like so far and what we've covered the next while. They're all very easy episodes to just jump in and watch. Yeah, get in, and get out. Enjoy. Yeah, that's what, which is what we've been doing. Yeah, definitely. Well, Evan, we're going to get into um, some more going forward. We're going to keep picking and choosing. And, you know, maybe we should do the movie pretty soon, too. I'll just, you know, throw that out there. I've been, con I've been diving through movies in the past week because, sadly, I don't have any shows. <laughs> The movie will be the first thing that we will end up tackling when it comes to the larger mythology of the whole show. I think that would be so good for us to get a little bit more, different. yeah, get a little bit more understanding about the whole thing. Because like I said, we're really sticking with Monster of the Week, but so far it's been great. So you're welcome. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, guys, yeah. thank you yeah. so much for yeah, listening. Really. Evan, awesome. thank you so much. I love you. And we will talk to you guys very soon. You. Bye. 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 Bye.